I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? We got legal on this? I like football. I like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're back midweek Wednesday show. All sorts of fun here today. We'll be previewing Thursday night football with Trevor Sykema, PFF's own from It's Just Football. He'll be on later to uh, break down a little Bucks Ravens. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk a little bit about, what do we have? New England's quarterback controversy. We're talking Justin Fields. we got to explain the grade. All sorts of great stuff here today. Yeah, you know, on the Monday Night Football Review, same as every week, uh, a few emails, the mailbag, podcast at pff.com. Somebody tried to take me off the, ma- the say, did you get mailing added? list. Did you get added back? I got perks to, to put me back on. Yeah, I don't know. I got an email saying you've been cut off your own email list and then got, had to get added back to it. I also, I brought in my uh, my throwing coach today. That's know? that's great. Yeah. Nice. It's nice, a it's, uh, teach him baseball here. It's advice appears to be questionable. Um, it has little uh, little circles on here that show you where you, how you're supposed to grip the ball for various pitches. Yeah. Only they appear to lie badly. Yeah. Show them how it teaches you the slider or the changeup grip because it's basically okay. the same and it's both ridiculous. Yeah. So even bearing in mind my very small hands, this is how I'm apparently supposed to throw a slider. Yeah, and anyone who knows anything about baseball knows true. that's not any pitch whatsoever. No. What is this ball showing you? And when you read the the documentation that comes with the ball, it doesn't say that either. And yet the picture on it is, so it's not like it's a misprint of, of imagery, because the image is the same on the documentation, but it doesn't connect to that. But anyway, the How point being... How did that get manufactured? All I need is the fastball. That's all I need. Look, there we go. All I need. That's all I need. That one. Yeah. That's all I need. Mm, yeah, you're gonna move that. What do I gotta move? Ring fingers gotta get under the ball. Under the ball, yeah, 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 like that. Once you get three fingers on the ball, you're basically throwing a changeup. You know. All right. Well, anyway, there we go. I, that's my point. Being, I've invested a lot of money in a professional throwing coach, yeah. so I should be able to easily hit sixty. Yeah. Given the way it wants you to throw a changeup or a slider, you might want to fire that coach. But uh, yeah, we're gonna do that Friday morning here yes. over at uh, Great American. Great American. And they just let anybody onto that the field. Reds are letting us there. Now, yeah. Not the field. They're letting us in the bullpen, but still. Yeah. Close enough. I Big mean, thanks to them. I haven't gotten much closer than that, so <laughs> pretty cool. Pretty cool for me, got to say. So, yeah, we got a, a great show right now. Sam's going to be just playing with that baseball, and we'll, uh, we'll preview a little Thursday night football in, uh, in a little bit. Where are we starting here? Uh, Monday Night Football Review. Patriots and Bears. Bears win 33-14. to 14. The Patriots quarterback discussion, we did discuss that on the PFF NFL Daily today. Mm-hmm. Mac Jones, Bailey Zappi, even more controversy though since we've recorded. Mac Jones interception hit the Skycam wire. Allegedly. Potentially. Yeah. Potentially, right? That was uh it was close. There's a video that shows what appears to be the ball hitting the a wire for the Skycam. And if you remember that play, he's throwing it receiver and ends up sort of falling just short of his intended receiver at an area where Jaquan Brisker can just about make a one-handed interception on it so if it does change trajectory or flight path in any way shape or form it wouldn't take much to take it at least away from being an interception to being an incomplete pass and potentially if it altered enough it's the difference between like the interception and and i you know a big play to the receiver 
Now, the image or the, the video does appear to show it. I looked on the, the All-22 in both directions and couldn't see it move. So, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> maybe it did, maybe it didn't. But it's pretty big. Like I, There was a pass earlier, in probably two or three weeks ago, I feel like I saw the same thing. And I remember thinking it. I it never, I never I mean, said this things... to anybody. I never tweeted it and asked. I never went back and looked at it. It might have been Mahomes on Sunday Night Football. I forget. Yeah. But it looked like there was a pass recently that did something similar. It must happen. I mean, if you think how those Skycam things yeah. are designed, that there's four wires come out of this thing and go to corners of the, the stadium. Yeah, this is the, the video. Um, but, like, those four wires wow, that looks like the ball's... Did it hit it? Looks like it's so past it looks it. like it hits. Yeah, but it looks like it hits the top of it and then sort of bounces downwards. It looks a lot less bad when you remove the arrow that sort of yeah. drops and tries to make it look like it was a really obvious thing. I don't know if it did or it didn't, but it's plausible. Um, but yeah, my, my first point, that must happen. Like those wires are fairly central to the action at yeah. most of the times. I, I'm amazed it is not more often, to be honest. Um, but anyway, that's kind of a, besides the point here that the Patriots defense got wrecked by Chicago's offense, which finally seemed to have a plan for Justin Fields for the I, I, first time in a year and a half. Yeah, look, Justin Fields, it, it was it was an adventure of a game, by the way, for Justin Fields. Let's just yes. be let's be serious here. Which it by was, the way, the like the narrative is like, oh, Fields was incredible, didn't do a thing wrong in that game. It's like, excuse me? What? Um, there already has not been any normalcy to any Justin Fields narrative since since entering the league no one has uh, it, you know we we follow twitter and twitter responses and all that stuff it does seem like everything is just at every extreme level every bad pass was like matt Nagy's fault last year sure I and mean, you couldn't blame matt Nagy this year but we don't do that here we're very level-headed and completely honest here so fields had some bad plays i mean i think robert mays who is you know was on the show a couple weeks ago bears fan and he made a comment something like troy aikman is going through the same struggle I go through every week, which is trying to balance the inconsistency, right? It's trying to, like, uh, come to grips with the highs and the lows of watching Justin Fields play, right? I mean, there was a dropped interception and two fumbles in the first half alone, in addition to some unbelievable runs by Fields and some good passes. Like, it it was a roller coaster. And some passes that came out of his hand in a way that made you question if he's ever thrown a football before. Like, there was yeah, one point Yeah, there was the a game, wet ball right, and stuff. But there's but... one point in the game where Peyton Manning is saying, like, maybe the guy needs to put on some gloves or something. Like, yeah. this is bad. Yeah, he so, missed a screen by, like, 10 yards. Yeah, so you can't come out of that game because of the way it ended and be like, oh, that was, that was a great performance from Justin Fields. It was perfect. No no notes, you know? Yeah, so... Like, okay, come on. Look, this was better, and there was... The most encouraging thing to come out of that game was signs of a schematic game plan to take advantage of Justin Fields... But you can't, let's not, there's a, dis, there's a difference between that and, oh, that was a great game. Perfect. You know? Like, yeah. Come on, let's find, let's chart the middle ground have, here. Have we set the, sta- like, I think the standards have just been so low for Fields, too. <laughs> I mean, legitimately, he had some incredible runs. Um, he also had four turnover-worthy plays and completed 13 passes. So you're right, th- those, that's, yes. the, that's the reality of the situation. So let's discuss the running, because if there is a part of the narrative that I think has been true, it's that, wow, Justin Fields has been a special runner, and the Bears, last year and this year, haven't tapped into it enough, and they did that on Monday night, finally. 12 designed carries, which is only three fewer than David Montgomery and exactly the same number as Khalil Herbert for Chicago. Um, the Bears, there was, uh, I forget where the quotes came from, but somebody was saying they'd sort of, they'd looked at what the, uh, what the Ravens do with Lamar Jackson and, you know, stole slash borrowed some ideas. 
which is good, you know, absolutely. Lamar Jackson, incredible athlete, great runner. We have one of those too. Let's steal some of those plans. My question is, why is it taken until now for somebody to figure that out? Okay, I get to an extent it not happening last year, right? There's, a, there's an element to which it doesn't appear Matt Nagy wanted any part of the Justin Fields thing. And I kind of understand through sheer stubbornness, we're just not going to do that. But that should have been job number one, like day one of the new coaching staff when they got the job should have been that. Yeah, at least some, right? I mean, I, again, I've, I've made the point. I, I don't think Fields is playing. There's parts of his game I, I didn't expect him to play stylistically, this way, stylistically. I didn't think he would be uh, rely on the run as much as he has. I didn't think he would scramble as much as he has. And even though I thought he had issues taking too many sacks and negative plays in college, I didn't know that it would be at this extreme. So I think it's taken some time to be like, oh, by the way, he is a dynamic runner, yeah. right? He's not just a guy that is a complimentary piece. Like I, I looked at Trey Lance as a guy where I wanted to start my run game and build it around him because I didn't know what he could do as a passer. I felt like I knew more about Fields as a passer and I wanted him to be a passer first. I always, I, you know, on this Ryan Tannehill, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson spectrum of takes negative plays, really good thrower of the football let's lean into that first that for me that's where i was coming at it from for fields and i kind of get where maybe it took a while to realize maybe his passing isn't where it should have been and his running's even better than we expected but don't you think that the the league has changed to the point where i think the the sort of approach to that stuff is different so you go back a number of years and that was very much the idea it's like we take an athletic quarterback and we really want to make sure that he can be a, a passing quarterback first and he's only relying on his athleticism as a last resort once that all breaks down. Yeah. Essentially the Michael Vick plan, right? right? Let's take Michael Vick, let's make him run a West Coast offense and then say, when your first or second read goes to hell, Mike, make something happen, you know? That, that was the game plan. But now we've reached a level of sophistication in terms of planning around uh, quarterbacks and athletes and scheme that you can say, well, no, let's, we, if we have a special athlete, let's take advantage of that. Let's build some concepts off the back of that, and let's actually make his life easier so that we can smooth the pathway to him being a better quarterback, which is the sort of the Jalen Hurts game plan, right? Right. Jalen Hurts, certainly until this year, has not been a tremendously good passer. But if he's going to add 800 to 1,000 rushing yards and a, you know 8 to 10 touchdowns, that raises the floor of this offense so that you're keeping drives alive so that you keep him on the field so that he can miss a pass every now and again and it doesn't kill the offense like that is your way of saying you have time to figure out how to be a passing quarterback because the offense is is fine with you relying on your legs for a bit because we're building that into the game plan you know what i mean yeah, that was, um, that was the comparison I actually wanted to make because last year at this time, we were asking ourselves the same questions. Why are the Eagles throwing the ball so much? With Jalen Hurts as the starting quarterback, why are you not running the ball like crazy with him as a design runner? And it was right around this time, right? Last year, week six, week seven, where things changed. And the Eagles became more of a, a, more of a run-first attack. Then they started running for 200 yards per game took a little bit of pressure off Hurts. It wasn't perfect all the time, but it was like, all right, they're at least adjusting to what their what their team can do. And maybe that's what we're discovering with the Bears because it wasn't just Fields. The offensive line and all the run blocking was absolutely fantastic. We had, uh, rookie left tackle Braxton Jones. You had Michael Schofield at left guard. Sam Mustafer had to come in for Lucas Patrick at center. 
Tevin Jenkins at right guard, all of those guys with top-notch run blocking grades, Cole Komet at tight end, have the Bears also just found their their identity, right? I mean, their fields running the ball. They moved them out of the pocket a few times. They did, they did scheme up some open throws. And the offense just looked a thousand times better than it has in maybe forever. And it should. I mean, this is the type of thing that helps everybody in the offense when you're able to cheat with scheme. Not cheat, you know what I mean? Like steal, yeah. low-hanging fruit, good additional yardage, free, easy plays by scheme and by taking advantage of a guy that's a special athlete. This was 12 design carries, which doubles his previous career single-game high. The most he'd had in a game before this was six. That is, A, it's insane to me that it's taken this long to do. But it's absolutely what they should be doing going forward. Like, this should be a huge foundation piece of this offense because they don't have anything else to base it on. And the Bears had already been running the ball pretty well yeah. without Fields in the design run game a lot. Mm-hmm. So now you add him to the mix, it helps some of that volatility because we know, like, run game su- uh, success is is harder to sustain. And, uh, yeah, I think there's just a a lot of good there and then you're and then the thing we always said about Lamar Jackson coming out was he's not the most accurate quarterback in the world that's I don't want to say that's still true but you know he's not the most accurate quarterback in the NFL mm-hmm. he's probably he's he's moved up to probably like middle tier yep. uh, Lamar but the <laughs> advantage to Lamar Jackson's skill set was the open throws and again the was same all idea. the misdirection play action and all, everything that the open throws that oh, that lead to completions where you don't have to put it on the front number every single time. And same idea. Like, if Lamar Jackson hadn't been able to rely on his running ability the first year, would he have even made it to the second year? You know what I mean? Like, when he yeah. came in for Joe Flacco, if you were relying simply on his passing ability at that point, the Ravens would have been screwed. Yeah. Because he couldn't – he was the, literally the least accurate quarterback in the NFL that year. And there was all this talk about, well, he hadn't been practicing with the right football, you know, whatever. The point being – that rushing ability and the fact that they built an offense around that, you know, off in the dungeon somewhere while Joe Flacco was the quarterback with the real offense, they were building the Lamar Jackson offense for the moment that they made that transition. If they hadn't done that, that offense would have stank and maybe Lamar never becomes Lamar. That's what happened with the Bears. They didn't do that. It's waited until now until they finally gone, you know what, maybe we should steal some of those plays. Those seem to work quite well. Even though Best Ball Mania has ended, Underdog Fantasy is still the easiest and most fun way to spice up your football season with their Pick'em game. Just look for your favorite or least favorite player's stats. Pick whether you think they'll end up with a higher or lower total than that number in this week's game, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Underdog keeps it super simple with their easy-to-use website and mobile apps. Pick between two and five players for your Pick'em entry and get all your picks right, and you'll take home some cold, hard cash. It's simple to get started. You just head to underdogfantasy.com or download the app, sign up the promo code PFF, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. That's Underdog Fantasy, promo code PFF. Get in on the action today. Anything else? Yeah, one last point. We, As you said, we talked about the quarterback controversy in New England on the daily. Um, We got an email in from somebody called Jared Thomas that was saying, What possibility is there of Bill Belichick creating a system where he puts defenses uh, out of sorts by randomly subbing Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi constantly? Wouldn't that make it wildly difficult to prepare defensively? My only point to that would be... I know know your answer. It's going to be the same as mine. I don't think there's enough difference between Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi for it to cause any defense, any issue whatsoever in terms of preparation. It's it's oversimplifying to say that they're the same guy. Once you've prepared for one of them, you've prepared for the other one. Like, there's nothing extra being brought to the table 
to cause problems there. There's no difference in skill set. Uh, but there's little difference in skill set, right? Like yeah. If you're describing both guys, it's like, um, I would say Mac Jones is just is pro- actually better scrambling and there's certainly and no difference up with, in with how you legs. would prepare for them defensively. Right. You know, there would be a difference. And so if you had Justin Fields and Mac Jones on the same, or so Justin Fields and Bailey Zappi, yeah, two different skill sets, right? Two you different have styles to, of play, two different styles of play, and you're preparing for two different things. You're not changing how you prepare at all. Yeah, uh, for Bailey Zappi or Mac Jones, and if anything you're probably opening up for more uh, tendency, like uh, more tells, I think, for your offense. If Zappy, for whatever reason, is always running play action and Mac Jones is always in the gun or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect that with those two guys. Okay. All right. As always, send in the emails. Sam can't read them anymore because we cut them off, but nflpodcast.pff.com. I'm, I'm, I'm just glad you didn't get fired. I was driving over here. I was curious. I felt like... You know, like when Rocky's driving, thinking about Apollo. No easy way out. Yeah, yeah. no easy way out. That's uh-huh. me driving today because I'm thinking about how you got cut off from the email and I didn't know if we were going to have a podcast anymore, if you'd been secretly fired. It does feel like that's how I'll find out when yeah. I get fired. You know? Yeah. I just, just, I just get an email saying you no longer have access yeah. to this. T-Fob doesn't work coming yeah. in here. Uh-huh. Yeah, like like uh, Jamal Adams Jamal, the Jets, yeah. right? Just can't get in the building. Yeah. 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 But I was having that, I was having that no easy way out moment driving over here thinking. Great scene. Yeah, like, am I going to preview? Am I going to do a two and a half hour preview by myself tomorrow? Hmm. Are they going to stick me with a different co-host? Maybe. When all this stuff's going through my head. There's no easy way out. No. And then they just gave you your email back. So yeah, so we're good. So what were the emails so far? So email in from Ben Natty, uh, Sam and Steve. Me and my brother are having a debate about the NFC North conf- North Division. NFC Central. Sure. He thinks average depth of target has no impact on win, winning whatsoever, and I believe it has a big part in winning games. My brother, for example, thinks it all depends on the game, while I believe the more you push the ball down the field, especially with players like Justin Jefferson, it matters. What do we believe is true? I don't think if you, if you drew it, if you charted it out, I don't think there's a direct correlation between a dot, average depth of target, and winning, mm-hmm. right? Because... The A dots historically, the highest guys you'd have like Jameis Winston, yes. and Carson Palmer, and Jameis. That's the like that's the answer right there. Uh, in a nutshell, is that Jameis Winston typically leads the league yeah. in average at the target and typically does not lead the league in he's winning. In his five hundred quarterback, yes, right. And um, Patrick Mahomes last year was, believe it or not, fifth the lowest average yeah. depth of target. So I don't. I think it's more descriptive yes. than predictive. That, well, it's not even descriptive versus predictive. To me, it's simply a tool that describes elements of an offense or potentially a quarterback. Yeah. So Alex Smith and his pathological conservatism would always have one of the lowest average depth of target in the NFL because he simply didn't push the ball down the field until Tyreek Hill rocked up, right? Right. There are other quarterbacks for whom that is true. There's also other offenses that are simply that simply play short, horizontal, don't attack deep down the field. And it's... The reverse is true. You get quarterbacks like Jameis Winston and his YOLO attitude. He's always looking for a deep shot, you know? So I think it's it's an interesting data point that isn't necessarily indicative of wins and losses or anything more complex than just describing what is happening with a quarterback or an offensive system. Get out of the chat, pro football focus. Make it fun of my, my computer's two and a half years old. We do not have audio issues right now. The chat thinks PFF likes me more than you. Huh. I have a bigger computer. 
Oh, I see. Yeah. Well, you have a bigger computer because you're a bigger human being. It's all proportional. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. If you had a tiny right. laptop, it would look ridiculous. Um, you remember the? Remember there was a few years ago there was that um, sort of trend where people had those like micro laptops that were like this size. Yeah, I don't understand that. You having one of those would have been hilarious. That would be funny. Yeah. Yeah. A little seven-inch laptop, it just is. Like, a lot of stuff I do is kind of funny if you think about it. I mean, there's there's certainly a lot of like unintentionally. Yeah. Right. Right. Like you have that thing where you can hold items and it looks like that picture of Andre the Giant with the can of Coke <laughs> and it's just inside yeah. his hand, you know? So I use I use a dot a lot, like you're saying, kind of as a descriptor, but I use it to say when you have the quote unquote middle tier quarterback, and I've used I used Matthew Stafford in this example a few years ago. I've used Derek Carr in this example, and I'm gonna use Justin Herbert. Not that he's middle tier, but Justin Herbert. Like when you have a quarterback with a skill set. That is, he's a guy that has a big arm that could push the ball down the field, and you see that he's not, right? Um, or like Carr had these games with the Raiders where they were down three touchdowns the entire game, and he had this low average depth of target. And it's like, what do you do? Are you even trying to win the game, right? Like at some point, and you mentioned the, um, the passing curve all the time and how average depth of target essentially changes based off game flow Mm -hmm. right so as you win you should generally throw shorter as you're winning as you're losing you should throw further down the field and uh kev cole had those those charts and they were fantastic and they basically showed peyton manning and tom brady had like the perfect curve and game flow and knew the situation quarterbacks like kirk cousins did not adjust to the situation maybe aaron Rodgers doesn't adjust to the situation enough they don't get aggressive enough to me that's where a dot is is more descriptive not necessarily like just the total number even though we'll use that every now and again it's when you're down are you pushing the ball down the field trying to win and when you're up are you not taking these unnecessary chances and just you know taking care of things what's so funny man i'm just i'm now down a mental rabbit hole of thinking of all the things that went through a phase of being really small that would be hilarious if you owned one you remember like before smartphones existed so we, we first started off cell phones. When we first invented them, it was like a suitcase with a brick coming out of it. Yeah, right? exactly. And then Morris it became phone. just the brick. And then the brick became smaller and smaller and smaller as we got more sophisticated. And eventually they were absurd. They were like this size. Yeah, I used you to know? have that little. Yeah. Yeah. And then we invented smartphones and I needed a larger screen. And then they got bigger and bigger again. I'm now, I'm going to get you one of those like Sony Ericsson or Siemens or, you know, those phones that were like this size. I'm going to get you one of those. I'm going to get you the 7-inch laptop. I'm going to get you a collection of all these things from, like, oh, whatever thanks. it was, 2003, yeah. when the world was, like, into really small tech and just see you, like, with your tiny little phone, your tiny little it. laptop. I'll rock that. Yeah. I used to have a Zach Morris phone, like, phone case where you put your regular phone into the big, and it looks like you were holding the big yeah. Zach Morris phone. Yeah, there that you go. Yeah, like, like the Zoolander that. phone. Uh-huh. They're making fun of small tech there. Hmm. That's what they're doing. I used to have this thing called a Siemens SL65, which is a little slide phone, but it was like this size. That, that in your hand would look hilarious. Whatever. Make fun of me all you want. Make it happen. So that's my ADOT. Those are the ADOT answers. More, it's descriptive, yeah. but I would urge certain quarterbacks to be more aggressive because I would lean into, if you're not dominant lean into volatility a little bit more, especially when you're playing from behind. Oh, so one thing we need to add in here that isn't in my document of rundown for this uh, for this podcast is the Russell Wilson news. Russell Wilson with his very real pain and real injury. Uh, Zach Stevens had a tweet. No, no, you no, can't just to. use Zach. You have to use the follow-up, which brings more What's context to it. I don't care about a follow-up. I want this tweet read out. 
Russell Wilson worked out and stretched for four of the eight hours on the flight from Denver to London. Said he was doing high knees in the aisle when the rest of the guys were asleep. What is your follow-up that you want to add context to that? I haven't read it yet. Let me read it to myself. You start. What? Okay. Well, my point was simply, I'm, I can't help but wonder if that's worse, if it's true or if it's fake, you know? Is it a worse thing if he was actually doing high knees down the aisle of a transatlantic flight while everyone else was asleep? Or is it worse that he thinks that that's like the thing that people want to hear of their, their franchise leader, face of the franchise, the quarterback, and just put it out there even though he was you know, just the, lying there asleep? The context doesn't save him at all. Well, I, that's my point. He was saying, I don't really get jet lagged too often. I've traveled enough to, get kind of, to kind of get my system down. I was on the plane the first two hours. What was it, an eight-hour flight, he says? Mm-hmm. The first two hours I was watching the film. <laughs> watching all the cut-ups and everything else. Yeah. So that's how I spent my first two hours. Uh-huh. Then for the next four hours, I was doing treatment on the plane. Of course. Of course. I was walking up and down the aisles. Yeah. Everyone was knocked out. I was doing high knees. Yeah. Working on my legs and everything else. Making sure I'm ready to rock. So that was good. In the last two hours, I fell asleep for one hour. And then watched film the rest. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So on his eight-hour flight, he slept for an hour. Yeah. Worked out for four. Grinding for the rest of it. Grind and film for the other three. Yeah. This is what we used to call uh, eyewash, Sam. People are out there. So there's, there's a group of people now pushing back against the Russell Wilson hate and asking questions like, why is Russell Wilson being attacked like this when it doesn't happen to other quarterbacks, you know? And, and why are, like, I've never seen former teammates go after a guy the way Russell Wilson's former teammates have been going after him recently. And then you get quotes like this. And like, this is the answer. This is why people hate the guy, because nobody likes this person. Nobody likes somebody who acts like this. You know, there's that quote in the West Wing. It's like, why are you making this about the smartest kid in the class? Most people weren't the smartest kid in the class. And most people didn't like the smartest kid in the class. The kid who sits at the front and raises his hand like every question, you know, sir, me, sir, me, sir, I I know the answer. And everyone else is just sitting there going, asshole now look i am fully aware i'm self-aware enough to know that i am the type of person that doesn't necessarily give 110 percent 24 7 and doesn't really like the kind of people that give 110 percent 24 7 so there's probably an element of projection here you know what i mean it's just like, i hate fake. that kind of person therefore i'm going to assume most people do but like this is this is the attitude and comment and I, like I, I'm genuinely not sure if it's worse, if it's true or fake, because either way, it's annoying. It just feels fake, right? I mean, like, I drew up this fake. Well, it's definitely fake. JJ Watt thing last year that was very believable because <laughs> JJ has kind of created this reputation of like, oh, the camera's on me. Let me just bench press this tree, right? Yes. Like that's that's kind of like what the what JJ's done. Mitchell Schwartz had a tweet about Russell Wilson back in September that said. I know I already tweeted this video, but following up, Russ is like a method actor. He's doing his impression of what he thinks a quarterback is supposed to do, but he's too far down the rabbit hole of the role he's playing and can't yeah. find his way back to normalcy. Hilarious for us, at least. I think that genuinely describes it pretty well. Like, Russell thinks he should show himself in a certain way and is playing that bit at all times, and it's just taking it way off the parody deep end. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like... Remember when he was injured, but he would still spend an hour pregame yeah. mentally? That's going what I the thought. Reps. I was gonna, when I first heard that he worked out for four hours, I was going to say, the, was the other four hours the simulated game? Yeah. Like he went through and, you know, 
went through like, uh, oh, I threw a pick six. Let me track down the cornerback now. I, I asked the question on Twitter, like, is it worse if it was true or made up? And Charles McDonald tweeted back and he said, it's worse if it's true because then you're being inconsiderate and weird instead of just weird. Wake it up your teammates. Um, I also, I think there's other parts of the article that say he doesn't like wasted hours, which includes sleep. Yeah. Right? So I didn't get into that part. But I'll just say, as a former professional athlete, the best part about being a professional athlete is that sleeping is part of your job. Yeah, you need eight hours. You need to get, you need to find that cadence. Is it seven and a half? You know, Mm. your your REM cycles, do you you sleep six and seven and a half? And like, that's actually part of your job. Cycles are big. So that's going too far too. If he's trying to portray this like, oh, I don't need to sleep. That's not, that's bad. Like, dude, take a break. Like, take a nap on this flight. We need you rested. Remember Cam Newton's like, daily schedule yeah it's like i'm up at four don't 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 drink that don't drink coffee till like noon or whatever yeah that was also like man maybe you'll throw better if you sleep more than three hours a night cam like that that's not a good thing but like i think this answers the question you know why are people attacking russ this way people hate people like this don't they that's not just me right like i'm not projecting that on everybody like anyone that acts like this people don't like them yeah. yeah, the other because it what the problem is it just again it feels forced it feels fake. We've all had it's not that you don't want your teammates to work hard, but like we've had teammates like when we in college we'd run laps right you run laps or whatever and the coaches would be like in one part and there was always like that guy that would just run a little bit faster when you go by the coaches yeah. right just to run a li- just like pick up the pace a little bit when the coaches are there and then you know slack a little bit when the coaches it's just about the image it's about the acting like you said right and and this is and this is putting it out to the media like i want you to know i'm doing everything i can to get back mm-hmm. the same way there's a tweet out there that's like it's a real injury guys like who if, if somebody says russell wilson has a hamstring injury nobody's gonna say it's fake but it, they, somebody felt the need to say it's a real injury and tell that's a rap sheet which again and now it's like i just spent seven of my eight hours going to london grinding film and doing high knees in the aisle that's absurd it, which again is the difference between real leadership and fake leadership like and same thing like with the kid in class right like real people hated the kid that sat at the front and put his hand up every every question you know people didn't hate kids who were just smart and would sit there quietly and just get on with it you know that's fine but it's the it's the guy that's like ostentatiously showing off that people hate that's what grinds people or rubs people the wrong way so if russell wilson had just done this you know, if he's like, I genuinely believe that the best thing for me to do between now and London is to spend seven of my eight hours either grinding tape or doing high knees down the aisle and I just shut the hell up about it, nobody would care. It's the fact that there's this giant paragraph quote to a reporter explaining that this is how he spent seven of his eight hours. That's what's going to piss people off. Well, especially because all his teammates want is production. And I think, you know, Jeff Schwartz mentioned that today. It's like, yeah, if you're winning, it's like, that's eh, just Russ. Just Russ being Russ. But, but like, even then, I think that's like that. It's always there. That's what's festering. Like, that's why the second it goes to hell, people are throwing him under the bus because nobody likes that. Right. Again, there's a difference between just doing it and showing off about it. Like same thing with the mental reps in the hour pregame. Like if he'd done that somewhere off in the corner where there weren't cameras on him at all times, you know, in the in the locker room or whatever. Fine. It's the fact that he's doing it out on the field for no good reason, knowing that there's a camera on me the entire way. That's what pisses people off because nobody likes that guy. Yeah, I've seen that a bunch. There are, uh, yes, people don't like that at all. 
Poor Russ. Sorry, buddy. The PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home? Planning to start a family? Wondering how to make your money grow? Well, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. All right, way to hijack the podcast. You got this? Uh, let's go to this other email here. Oh, man. I did a, I did a Chris. Yeah, you did. I hate it when somebody grinds on me the wrong way. Oh, you said Look, it nearly to everybody. As bad. So now I've talked about kicker STDs. He's talked about I can't. Even, we can't even repeat. <laughs> like we're in, we don't even have censorship on our podcast. We can't repeat what he said. Yeah. yeah. On Sunday Night Football. Uh huh. That would never happen. See, the thing is, that would never happen under Fred's watch. No. You know, of course not. Chris. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. So anyway, now we can get back into the rest of the show. All right, what's this email? This is interesting. This is a good email. From Devin? Great email, in fact. Devin Shepard. Uh, it's a long email. Hi, guys. I've been doing some research, so always a fan of uh, independent research, you know, um, just for fun, uh, in parentheses, on what Super Bowl champion rosters look like according to PFF grading over the past 10 seasons. What's their makeup? Where's the money spent, et cetera? In doing that, I found that the best players on average, uh, the best players on average grade in each team was as follows. Uh, so essentially it's six positions interior defensive line the top player there quarterback the number one wide receiver number one corner number one edge number one guard and tackle they're all between 78 and 84 in overall PFF grade all other positions were anywhere from below average to slightly above average throughout the roster making in my mind these couple of positions especially the first five key to winning Super Bowls Um, then he talks generally about a couple of observations which I'm going to ignore because I want to use his (laughs) <laughs> the rest of his email to essentially have a look at what the teams are doing this year and see if we can spot the Super Bowl teams based off this information. Oh, you're not going to question the methodology yet? No, no, I'm not. I'm going to assume his methodology is 100% sound and simply ask the question, the teams that we think are good this year, who is winning the Super Bowl based off this criteria? Um, so I looked through them. Buffalo, widely considered the best team in the NFL throughout the course of the season. They actually don't qualify, and actually are not particularly close to qualifying, interestingly. Obviously, Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, they've got the number one quarterback, the number one wide receiver. Uh, Grade-wise, they're they're flying, right? But they fall short in a a bunch of spots. No dominant interior defensive linemen. All their dominant players are on the edge. Von Miller, Gregory Rousseau, like the edge, they're stocked. But the interior, not really showing up the same way. No dominant cornerback. Kair Elam has been playing. They've got a bunch of guys that are young, that aren't as good. They've been banged up. Tredavious White isn't out there. Maybe you can sort of look to Tredavious White's return down the line and say they're going to get that guy in the building. But right now, they don't have it. And their offensive line is not good. They're 20-something in PFF offensive line rankings. There's no real standout there. They don't have the dominant grading from a guard or a tackle. So it looks like Buffalo doesn't qualify. Kansas City, almost. And they're closer if you sort of fudge it a little bit. If you say... Well, they don't have a number one wide receiver with an 80 grade, but they have Travis Kelsey. Same thing. I would argue that's fine. Um, If you swap out the dominant guard grading for the dominant center, Creed Humphrey. Or if you say, sorry, guard and center versus guard and tackle, um, Joe Tooney and and Creed Humphrey versus a a guard and tackle. Uh, Your guy, Legereus Need, right on the cusp, not quite there. You need to boost his grading a little bit. Where they fall down is no edge. Uh, Chris Jones is the interior guy, but none of their edges are grading particularly well. Um, So Kansas City doesn't quite get it. Philadelphia, yes. 
couple of them, the grades aren't quite there, but they're they're close. You know, they've got dominant corner, they've got dominant interior defensive lineman, Brandon Graham with a 90 grade off the edge. edge. Um, quarterback grading really well, wide receiver, A.J. Brown grading really well, and they have the best offensive line in the NFL. So Philadelphia, they're the obvious candidate. Thoughts? I mean, I would tear apart the, uh, you know, the methodology No, first. I'm not interested in that. I don't have any thoughts. You just listed all of them. So then I was like, okay, let's look. What about other teams? You know, the, from the outside, looking at the NFL this year, it's like there's three good teams and everybody else is meh. So does this methodology point to any other team that could, like, come up on the rails and challenge for a Super Bowl based off these six positions? Ish. Miami are pretty close. You know, Tyreek Hill, Tua, if he grades as well as he did earlier in the season. Um, even Wilkins. on the offensive line, like Teron Armstead is grading as a top tackle. It's just that there are weaknesses on the offensive line. Right. The interior guy yeah, on defense are playing well. Edge is a bit of a question mark. And corner. There isn't anybody quite playing at that level yet, but Xavier Howard has that kind of skill set. Cincinnati are like an offensive line away from being there. Like that line... It's unlikely that any of the, the guard or the tackle is going to end up with a, a high-end grade. The Ravens aren't far off either. They've got a lot of – they tick a lot of those boxes. Pretty much everybody else, there's several positions they appear to be missing. Great. Good work, man. Wow, you really embrace this idea. Yeah, I mean, you can't just look at 10 Super Bowl champions and <laughs> project that going forward. That's exactly what I've just done. Yeah. There's so much that goes into, like, what – who – the actual champion is you could look at Super Bowl teams or Final Four teams or playoff teams like Final Four team if you did this for Final Four teams I think it'd be a little bit more informative because mm. I'm interested in some of like the follow-up questions here that he had why not use better receivers in the slot why which not teams do now more which they do which is but it's kind of like a, even by the way do you see last week DeAndre Hopkins spent 40% of his snaps in the slot something that's never happened for the Cardinals yeah but it's kind of like a it's it's easier to be productive in the slot right mm -hmm. generally but so do you actually need to make things easier for your better player or do you take your better player there and try to dominate from the slot right i mean that's that's kind of the debate there um and then you know one of the questions is has the analytics driven modern football community underestimated the importance of a dominant interior defensive lineman i think potentially but, yeah, I mean, potentially, I think Aaron Donald, I think the best ones, though, are not underrated, right? Like, the dominant players are tough to find, but when you have them, they're really special, right? Like, not, not, we don't have a number that underestimates Aaron Donald, I don't think, because like, he, he had the best war for a non-quarterback last year, right, among any, any player. So, but the problem is, like, finding Aaron Donald level, um, there's maybe four guys. Donald's been in his own league, but there's, what, four guys that can even rotate through being that number two guy, right? It was mm -hmm. Fletcher Cox and Cameron Hayward, and this year you see, like, Jeffrey Simmons stepping up and Dexter Lawrence stepping up, right? Do the Giants fit that criteria? Interior defensive linemen. Well, Daniel Jones isn't graded well enough. Yeah, They got Daniel OT1. Jones, yeah, they got OT1. They don't have anybody else in terms of guard. Um, they they don't have a wide receiver really. They don't really have a cornerback. Like they're they're missing quite a lot. And of course, Daniel Jones being. You want me to sit up more? Just say it. I can sit <laughs> up more. I can do it. So apparently, Rick Drummond brought in a whole collection of death peppers upstairs from his. Oh, his that's what this collection. is. Yeah. 
and somebody said that we should eat one live on the podcast. And I said, yeah, yeah, bring it on. Um, so that's okay. So what Tyler's dropped some into me. I don't enjoy this. Well, you're, you don't appear to be doing it. Um, you're going to do it. Yeah. What is this now? This is a euphoria. This is a euphoria. I'll pepper. read it. Okay, you read what it is. The euphoria pepper. We're also potentially going to have to, like... Did, did somebody get him a drink? What are you supposed to... Oh, I don't need a drink, but... What do you eat, like my paper point towels being, or something? We might have to vamp for a while because the next segment is explain the grade, and we probably don't want to do that while I'm streaming tears and, and dying. Let me watch PJ Walker. Hold on. The euphoria pepper that Sam is eating right now, among the hottest and most brutal peppers in our collection. It is a real monster created by us through manual pollination hybridizing Carolina Reaper Red and Jay's Peach Ghost Scorpion. Yeah. How's that feel? It's pretty hot. Very productive plants. Ripens from green to peach on completion. Uh-huh. It's peach right now. Yeah. High spicy, brutal flavor. Great yeah. fruity contrast typical of the Jay's variety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brian says it's uh, 20 minutes later. Still feeling it. 20 minutes. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're going to grind this thing out, huh? Yeah. We can just throw it right to our interview with Trevor at any time if we need to no, no. cut this off. We've, we've committed to explain the grade every week, and that's what we're going to be doing. Do we have a uh, softer pepper for Sam to wash this down with? I don't think that's how it works. Oh. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's, that's tough. I'm just gra- glad I'm not playing. I mean, I ate one from one that I grew that was called Death Spiral. This is very similar to the Death Spiral, um, and that you can kind of uh, you can get in the name, you know, Death okay. Spiral. Let's see, what do we have in this? So you ate oh, Euphoria. It's got lemon drop. I can't lemon drops are nice. Pineapple ghost. Yeah. Do you want a pineapple ghost? No. To, uh... No. The lemon drops are nice, though. Oh, man, I like. I inhaled and caught a bit if of If this is getting throat. you, man, you're, uh, you're pretty good with the hot stuff. Yeah. Well, I was okay until I sort of inhaled and almost caught a bit down my windpipe. That's not helping. <laughs> got in my windpipe here. Mm. What's that mm-hmm. from? That was a thing for a while. Yeah, there you go. There's the, uh, there's the picture. Yeah, those are the available peppers. Now, now, did you have the worst one? Euphoria sounds like I the just, worst one. It sounds pretty bad. I don't, there's a lot of bad on that paper. Um, do you remember which one of these things had the thing on it? Because I don't want to wipe my eyes with the one that did. Somebody get him another paper <laughs> towel, please. <laughs> and get these things off the just, table. Get them out of here. One of those here. had the cut pepper on just it, and that's the other not side. the one you want to use just to use wipe the other your face side. with. That's all there I'm saying. There we go. Perfect. The paper towel is coming in. Incomplete. Got it. This is what the Wednesday show is all about. No, we're good. We're fine. This is easy. This is is not a problem. Uh Uh-oh. Tyler, whenever we're ready, we can... uh, Are we done with that? (laughs) Cue up, explain the grade. Yeah. Where's our our, uh, explain the grade, Diddy? Hit it, Tyler. Um, I'm sure PSF will have me a low grade for that, but uh, I'll keep it rolling. All All right. right. Explain the grade. With added, uh, added chili You seem fine. You seem fine. Yeah, yeah, don't worry. I'm a professional, Steve. We'll just get through this. So, number one. This is the one that everyone wants to hear. P.J. Walker only completed 16 passes from 22 attempts, threw for 177 yards, two touchdowns. The next two guys in the grading this week had over 400 yards and three touchdowns. How in the world can P.J. stack up against um, Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes? Six big-time throws on those 16 completions, man. I mean, not on those 16. He had two incompletions that were big-time throws. Right. P.J. Walker was throwing incredible passes. That's the same number of big-time throws as Burrow and Mahomes combined. They each had three. Yeah. 
I mean, this was he was hitting cover two hole shots. So like two of his best throws fell incomplete. You've got a cover two hole shot base. That wasn't really cover two. It looked like a cover two hole shot, but he yeah. puts it right along the sideline mm-hmm. to DJ Moore, who is barely out of bounds. But he puts it on in an incredible spot for him to catch it. And then early in the game, he hits one um, similar, other sideline that, that falls incomplete. Terrace Marshall doesn't come up with it. Beautiful play. And then That's like you have the, the touchdown that he had, which was – it was 20 um, – Sorry, 21-yard touchdown late in the second quarter. Back of the end zone. Back of the end zone, perfect spot. So it's a 21-yard 20 gain, but it's really a 31-yard throw from the right. line of scrimmage. I mean, P.J. Walker was awesome. I man. mean, you can add sort of 60, 60-something yards to his total just by giving him two throws back that his receivers made a mess of and adding the 10 yards of end zone, which he used every inch of for that touchdown. So all of a sudden, if you're saying, all right, instead of 177, now we're up to 240, Two touchdowns, no interceptions. Now we're starting to look an awful lot better. Also, turnover-worthy plays. Didn't have any. Right. Mahomes had a couple. You know, one, two, depending on how you want to view that. Sky Moore interception. Was that on Sky Moore? Was it on Mahomes? It was ill-advised anyway. Whatever. So that's, you know, that's definitely a a difference between the two. And, of course, the thing that we've always said for years, PFF grade isn't necessarily a volume thing. It's an efficiency metric. It's an efficiency measure. It's how well did you play – in the limited opportunities, however big or small, that you had in that game. P.J. Walker didn't have, you know, the giant volume, didn't have the same game plan as these other guys, but six big-time throws on the 22 attempts that he put in the air is an insane ratio. And look, this is coming from somebody that thinks P.J. Walker is not a good quarterback. Right. He was incredible in that game, genuinely amazing. You watch that game, P.J. Walker was fantastic for the Panthers. Yeah, complete night and day. You know, compared to the previous week where he did not complete a pass beyond the line of scrimmage. This week instead, six big-time throws. P.J. Walker was fantastic, and we gave him proper credit for it. The other one. The other one. Trayvon Diggs. Yes, Trayvon Diggs. So the numbers, three targets, one catch for six yards, an interception, a pass breakup, but he has a PFF grade of 77. Um, Justify that, Steve. So the interception was fantastic. The good, first off, 77 is a good grade, yeah. right? That's the thing. Like, it's a good grade. I know there are game grades where you see 80s and 90s and stuff like that, but he's just 77 is a really good game, mm-hmm. right? It's a good grade. And um, I believe, what's his, do you have a season grade on top, uh, uh, no, right now? I'll get it while you're talking. My early prediction, what's he have? Three interceptions now, I believe. My, he's, I don't think he'll get to 11 interceptions. Sure. And my prediction that he'll have a better grade this year, I think so far, is, is looking good. 76 coverage grade. There you go. So He's on 10 points. So we have him points. grading better this year than last year. Yeah, significantly. Because he doesn't have as many of these negative plays, the mm-hmm. negative plays that he had last year. In this particular game, though, um, he has a missed tackle, and he got smushed on a screen. <laughs> smushed. <laughs> Great right. term. So those, so those things count, right? Now... Well, they're, so they're a great example, I think, of how we think of coverage in this very black and white way. Like, if you're not playing press man coverage one-on-one downfield, it's not coverage, right? But that's only one part of what playing coverage in the NFL actually is. Obviously, there's also zone coverage, which is the majority of what everybody's playing on every given down. But there's also plays like screens. If you're a corner, you can't simply not be a factor on screen plays because those are coverage plays. You know, the ball's in the air. Somebody's caught it. It's a coverage play. Now you've got to come up and play force or make a tackle or whatever it is you want to do. So the two negatives, he gets absolutely murdered by an offensive lineman on a screen play. Where else does that go? Like if you don't, if you say, 
you have to put that in as a negative, right? I think we can all accept that that is a negative play for him. The only question is, where does it belong? I, it has to kind of go in coverage because it doesn't belong anywhere else. It's not run defense. I mean, if you want to argue with it, you just say, okay, that's, that's just how, how PFF is classifying it. Right? right. But my point being, it's a negative that has to be factored somewhere. And if you don't want to put that in coverage, fine, but it has to go somewhere and it would drag down his overall grade which is in the 70s as well, and, and it's you know, a decent number. And then the other play is, it's another coverage play that you don't think of as coverage, right? He's dropping off in zone. They throw the ball out to a running back in the flat. He comes up to make the tackle. If he makes the tackle, it's a two-yard gain. It's a good play. Right. He gets a positive for that. He came up quickly and makes a defensive stop on the running back in the flat. Really impressive play, um, but he doesn't. He misses the tackle. And at that point, it's all bets are off. Anything can happen because his part of the play is over he didn't slow it down at all and again it's like well that is coverage it, it's not what you think of as coverage he's not going one-on-one with a wide receiver 20 yards downfield you know in a trying to match him in, on a pattern but it is coverage right and so on the the missed tackle it happened also happens in the fourth quarter the game's pretty much over so it didn't matter to the game you know it didn't have an effect sure. it didn't change the game from like a value standpoint but we're just we're still but this is great every of, play yes right so he did a good of, job he passes off the deeper route he comes up and he misses the tackle so he gets a negative for this is part of the great the pff grading which is we're capturing every single play good or bad throughout the course of the game and these are the things that people don't factor in when they're looking at stats or when they're just thinking of how would a guy play over the course of a game like these are plays that happened and you get recorded as a positive or a negative over the course of the game but the big point I would circle back around to, which is that 77 is still a good grade. Like, right. despite these two negative plays, which are significant, he still graded really well. That's how well he played in the rest of the game, in coverage. Yeah, Smush might be a little bit mean on the screen. He was just, you know. He got fairly smushed. He got blocked. But um, even on a run play, kind of got blocked on the edge a little bit too. Run plays matter as well. So. Yeah. Other than that, I mean, he was good, right? I mean, so, yeah. I mean, look, we Diggs, spent... We Diggs spent, did a really nice... That, that's the one other thing, too. Like, so you're not just... It's not just your primary coverage where you can earn positive and yes, negative grades. But we spent all last season essentially trying to explain why Diggs wasn't playing particularly well or, in fact, was playing badly despite 11 interceptions and some very good coverage numbers. This isn't that because he played well, you know? Like, yeah, first and foremost, we're explaining why he played well and graded well, just not as well as you think he played or yeah. as you want to give him as a grade. Pass breakup, had the interception. I would also say, like, it's PFF's fault for using passer rating against as this stat, right? And it's, But it's not, like, the only stat. Yeah. It's obviously I mean, it's, skewed by interceptions, right? Like, the, seeing him make the interception and grading him properly for that is that's, like, the thing, not the fact that yeah. a, after it's like, oh, they were one for three with a pick. Like, I think you can, you you can fairly justifiably make the argument that he had a 90-game grade in coverage if you take out those two negative plays, yep. you know what I mean? Which is essentially what everybody wants to see from this grade. So if you don't care about those plays that are still quite important to playing NFL defense, fine. He graded exactly where you think he should grade. But if you want to factor in every play at every game, he gets dragged down a little bit. And that's essentially the upshot of that. So still a very good game for Trayvon Diggs. It's our Explain the Grade this week. Let us know what else you have as oh far as uh, Explain the Grade. It's still burning a little bit. Over You're there. handling it pretty well. I would not. I don't handle the uh, the hot stuff well at all. So that you don't want to. You don't want any of the euphoria in there. That's. Uh, I mean, I don't even want a. You know, how would you rate that? What's your? Uh, 
how would you describe euphoria and is that the worst you've ever tried that's pretty close to the death spiral which is the worst i've ever had yeah um i i started following some like chili pepper psychopath on tiktok and his thing is like he gets a pepper like that right picks one off the plate and then just like munches down on it right grabs the stalk just goes yoink eats the whole thing right and then you see like 10 minutes of him dying like tears streaming down his face gone red bloodshot eyes like you know looks like death let's say and, and then he's like I, i'd give that a five you know and I, I assume he means out of 10 rather than out of five but it's like it just they crack me up because he's like five minutes of death and it looks like he's about to keel over and need an ambulance and then he's like yeah it's a five it's a five yeah so look that that was pretty rough i will say on that plate is a lemon drop and those are legitimately nice they're like they're good they're, they're good like they're they're enjoyable they're, yeah you need to like hot things but they're they're nice like they're you can eat those and enjoy the experience as opposed to this where you eat it and then endure the next 20 minutes all right so why don't we uh why don't we wrap it up throw it to trevor and mm. uh, go enjoy a lemon drop cool you know, we as in you can if you'd like if it's that enjoyable but uh, yeah we got trevor sycamore coming in from it's just football to <laughs> is preview that, is that from the chat so he says, fun fact, the human body doesn't digest capsaicin. What you eat, you feel coming out the other end. So I got that to look forward to. Oh, so we'll have a full breakdown maybe tomorrow. Yeah, Mojal, apparently, or Mohal from the, uh, the chat. That's where that came from. Yeah, I appreciate it. Well, and he what... said, yeah, yeah. So be sure to uh, respond, talk in the chat about the pepper, and then hit the thumbs up button as well. So go, we'll go, go, go try the lemon drops. They're good. Talking to me? Anybody, anybody All right, yeah. go get a lemon drop. Everybody go get a lemon drop. Yeah, mm -hmm. just come by the office. Just come on by. Come eat, yeah. come eat Rick's peppers. So, like, You're not really invited, actually. Most of it is gone, but the bit where I almost inhaled it into my windpipe, like I can, I can actually acutely feel that part of my anatomy in a way you don't normally. It's amazing how people handle this differently. You were just mowing down on uh, the Carolina Reaper jerky that one day. We gave Tyler a little bit, and he almost was died, you know, yeah. falling over. I, so when I got the death spiral ones, right? The first one ripened on my plant, and I'd been talking about it with my next door neighbor for a while. And I went and got it, and I was like, "You want to just split it in half, and we'll eat it right now, see what it's like." So ripped this thing in half, gave him half. He went into an automaton trance and just started walking in a circle around the street. Apparently, went into somebody else's house, stuck his head under the faucet, and was getting water that way. Right? That's how bad he. And then he he has this thing where when he eats really spicy food, he just starts hiccuping like a like a physiological problem. So he's hiccuping, walking in a circle in a daze, and then sticks his head under somebody else's faucet to try and get water. I was simply enduring it, knowing that it was going to be bad, but was dedicating 100% of my mental runtime to not wiping my eyes with the hand that I just used to tear the pepper apart. So I was like, use the bicep. Yeah, what, would that, what would that feel like? But that was like 20 minutes of, of misery. A lot like this. Only I wasn't doing a podcast at the time. Well, I'm glad you survived. Cheers. You, uh... Pretty strong when it comes to the uh, the hot stuff. So anyway, let's get to a great show. Appreciate the emails. Appreciate everybody. We'll be back again tomorrow mm -hmm. previewing all of the weekend eight NFL action. But first, here's Trevor as we preview Thursday night football. All right, great to have Trevor Sikama in here with us, the co-host of It's Just Football. Welcome in, Trevor. Bucks, Bucks fan. 
Bucks guy. So we're here to talk a little Bucks Ravens. Yeah, I was gonna say, um, I don't know if it's great for me to be on the show because I know why I'm on the show. We're on, mm-hmm. I'm on the show because yeah. you guys are gonna ask me why the Bucks are bad, and I'm gonna have to talk about it. I mean, we'll, it's we'll part of Ravens it. too, yeah. a little bit. <laughs> it's a Thursday night football preview, Trevor. Wherever uh-huh. it takes us, that's where we're gonna go. Yeah, to the depths of hell. All right, so <laughs> for me personally. So let's start with yes. Uh, the Raven, the Bucks are three and four. Yeah, they. Um, it, it felt like early in the year you could kind of explain away some of their issues, mm-hmm. right? Like the there's wide receiver turnover, there's all this stuff, and then they had back to back games that should be for the Bucks roster mm-hmm. a get right game, right? With against the Pittsburgh Steelers, and then last week certainly against the Panthers, who were like the worst team in the NFL. Right. Instead. It opened up way more questions about the Bucks, why they can't move the ball offensively, why the defense is falling apart as well. So what is going on in Tampa Bay? Yeah, I mean, the answer to the question of why the Bucks are bad, I mean, it's it's so there's so many layers to it. I think that one area that does bother me is when, you know, you look at the things that happened to them this offseason. Two major players that did not come back to this team were Ali Marpet and Rob Gronkowski, okay? When the news broke that those guys weren't going to come back, you know, there's... there's hands are up there's outroar it's what we're gonna what are we gonna do but then it's almost like people forget about that like the season comes around and they go oh uh, i mean they're they're bad on the offensive line why we already know why like that that already happened we already kind of all freaked out about it collectively ryan jensen gets hurt that doesn't help as well when ryan jensen gets hurt again people go oh no this is really bad and then you get into the season you go oh why is the O-line bad? You know why the O-line's bad. You did, it happened during the the uh, the preseason when he got injured. So that those guys not being there, I think, really goes into it. Um, and even with that being the case, though, you can't lose to the Steelers and the Panthers. Like you just you can't lose to those two teams. And it's it's bad in a lot of ways. I think that those injuries and the guys who were there last year who weren't there this year, like those things compound, but. The main issue with the Bucks is that they haven't been able to stop the slide. Like, it's only gotten worse. Good teams can eventually get to a point where they're backed up against the wall, and they go, okay, 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 okay. We are one of the most talented teams in the NFL. Let's push back a little bit. Let's get back on track. And they have yet to do that on, against, like you mentioned, two opponents where you would think that that would be super easy for them to do so it's been it's been a tough uh, it's been a tough question to answer of what in the world is going on just because we knew it was going to be bad. But it wasn't supposed to be this bad. So it's tough. The good, like the one area of good news for them is that the, that division kind of stinks and nobody is going to go away and I was win. putting that. it kindly. That yeah. division really so, stinks. So, like, they can, they can lose a lot of games and still be well in the, the race to win the division, let alone make the playoffs or, you know, stumble through to the end, but actually still be in position to win the playoff or win, a, win the division, host a playoff game. Does this get fixed? Because there's too much particularly with Tom Brady, right? If there was any other quarterback, you could say, okay, this is just a mess and you're going to need a coaching change or you're going to need something from above Mm -hmm. to come and fix this. But Brady's been at this for 20 years. There's nothing he hasn't seen. I would imagine he understands where the problems lie. Right. If Brady can't get it fixed over the course of an entire season, that feels like a a big issue. Well, that's the thing, too, is that obviously we have – read all the rumors of what what might be going on in Brady's head and in Brady's life. So in a normal Tom Brady year, yeah, I think everybody probably goes, it's Brady. He'll be able to fix it. He can rally around it. He can change things. Is his mind all fully there? I, I don't know. And that's another problem that kind of goes into it. You know, when you look at the roster you and you look at these guys on paper, even for as banged up as they've been, you've got to think to yourself, yeah, they can figure it out. Like, they, yeah. there's a lot of season left, more than half a season for these guys. They can figure it out. And 
as you guys know, when it comes to winning in the playoffs, yeah, you got to be a good team, but you also got to be hot. Like, like you got to be playing your best football when it gets to the end of December, early January. And the Bucks have the recipe to get there. I don't know if they do. They they have the they have the recipe there on the roster. I don't know if the coaches do. Like all of a sudden, this move for Bruce Arians to be out, and even though he's still riding around on the golf cart at practice, it seems like, and he's around the team. Yeah, it feels way different. I mean. The most damning thing that I heard about the Buccaneers, the 2022 Buccaneers, was Mike Evans after their loss to the Carolina Panthers. They asked him about that dropped pass, you know, that big touchdown pass that he Mm -hmm. dropped that he absolutely should have had. That was the third play in the game, okay? And Evans said afterwards, I watched the lights go out of us after that. Yeah. The third play of the game, you couldn't recover because you simply against Carolina, a, right? Exactly, you're playing the <laughs> and Chiefs, it, and it felt, but it, and it felt like that though, right? Because yes, they're coming did. off of this game against the Steelers where it's like, hey, Mike Evans wasn't involved enough. You're facing the backup Steelers secondary. Get Mike Evans involved, and it's like, all right, we will. Here's Mike Evans on a deep ball, deep post. He's wide open, and like you said it on the Monday show, right? If they're up seven to nothing, it's like, all right, mm. we're gonna go roll. We're gonna go roll against Carolina like right. we have the right. last four times with Tom Brady as quarterback. Um, and you kind of felt that from the team. It's like, here we go again, right? I mean, the, a team that has, here's the other thing. Like when you have, um, oh, that's good. Very good. I got a text. It's very, it's very good that I need it. Okay, um, all right. It's very good. When they're having red zone woes, it's in third and short woes. It's like, all right, that doesn't last all the time. But, yeah. then, but then it's like, okay, then you have a 65-yarder. You have a chance to create an explosive play, and you leave it on the table. So that's... Uh, and it's, it's just the, the, the mentality there of, look, Bowles even said, I can't remember if it was last week or the week before, that there might be some players on this team who are still living off the Super Bowl that they won a couple of years ago. And when you take that, along with Mike Evans saying that the team wasn't able to mentally recover after the third play of the game was a drop pass, that tells me that this is an unfocused, unmotivated, and a team that's not playing with a lot of pride. And where does that come from? I feel like it's going to come from the identity of the guys who are coaching him. And it's weird because Bowles was in the building. He was the defensive coordinator. Byron was Byron Leftwich was the offensive coordinator. I didn't think Arian stepping down was going to have this much of an impact on the mentality of the team. But as for as much as an outsider can say things like this, it sure looks like these guys are about as unfocused and unmotivated as you can possibly be for a talented football team. Which, and I think that's a major problem that shows up in a lot of the bad numbers that we're seeing, which including again wins is, and losses. is very strange for a Tom Brady quarterback team. Because the one thing that's always been consistent throughout his career is that belief from everybody that doesn't matter how far, like 28 3, right? Who cares? We're, we're going to come. Right. Back. Like right. Brady, Brady's been like that throughout his entire career. You listen to 49ers players talk about when Joe Montana was there. Montana could pitch three interceptions in the first half, and everybody was 100% confident that he would bring them back. Yep. You know, he'll get it done. Yep. So the fact that a Tom Brady quarterback team is like, oh, that was our chance. One touchdown pass, like in the third play of the game. Yeah, that was it. That was our shot. Now we're done. That's insane. And, and it feels like a lot of the what should be guarantees for the Bucks this year aren't guarantees. You know, Brady being a little bit off, I, I don't think he's anywhere near the top of the list of the issues that they have, but like him being a little bit off, uh, Mike Evans making those plays when you would expect him to, those things being off. But shoot, you go to the d- defensive side of the football, where is Vita Vea? Yeah. Like that yeah. that entire Whole defense. defense to not be able it, to run on that defensive front. I mean, come on. Yeah. Like that is supposed to that was supposed to be a staple. Supposed They're to be like, up like six yards an attempt or something. It's at the wild, moment. man. It's crazy. And that's where that defense all starts. And so 
there are so many things going on with the Buccaneers right now. I think the coaching is poor. I think the motivation and the focus are poor. I think the stars aren't stepping up the way they need to. I think the offensive line injuries are proving to be really bad. They miss Gronk about as bad as any team can miss any player right now because of what he does as a pass catcher and as a blocker. And as a run blocker. And and then on the defensive side of the ball, Devin White's over-pursuing things left and right. He's not where he needs to be. Vita Vey is not that force in the middle. It's crazy. It's just not what we thought this team would be. The Devin I don't White know thing's on you, though. <laughs> well, okay. That's, okay. It is fascinating, fair, though, fair. watching the narrative come around on Devin White. Like, you look. Well, this it, was, year, it was always way overhyped. Yeah, but there's this whole world of people now. They're like, what's happened to Devin White? Like, why Devin White's playing terribly? What is this? You're like, have you not watched Devin White since he came into the league? Yeah. This is the same guy. It's just everything around him is worse. Right. And that is the thing is that Devin White was able to make a lot of the splash plays, especially on the Super Bowl run. And people saw a lot of those things, but he was able to do that because the rest of the team was solid. Now the rest of the defense isn't solid. And kind of here we are. So that's where the Bucs are. So we can't spend all day talking about the Bucs much that we want to. We have Mm -hmm. to focus on the actual game that's coming up. Baltimore. Um, the Ravens are always an intriguing team to have to play because they're unique, right? You have right. Lamar Jackson. The offense they run um, is unlike any other offense in the league, though apparently Chicago is, is going to try and copy that going forward. Um, and then the defense, like they, they run their defense in a, in a different way to a lot of teams as well. So how do you think the Bucks match up in this particular game Thursday night? Well, I mean, I think that everybody should match up poorly against Lamar Jackson because he's just a completely unique skill set that, that he is able to attack defenses with. The Bucks aren't disciplined, and I think the ba- that's the biggest issue, right? Which is when, a terrifying thing against right, a guy like Lamar right, Jackson. Right, and that, that's, the, that's the biggest talking point is that if you can't play discipline, it, it, teams have been able to show that they can contain Lamar Jackson if you play discipline all the way around bucks are nowhere close to that right now and this is a ravens team that i think should even be running the ball a little bit more than they are and they're going to have a pretty easy opponent to be able to do that to get back on track i feel like greg roman's kind of been all over the place a little bit with his play calling specifically when he's calling certain plays it feels like oh when the run game's really going he's like all right now we're gonna switch it up we're gonna show something different he's like no actually that was working and then like when the pass game is the same thing with the pass game to the run game so i feel like we haven't gotten a full marriage of what that offense would like to do and what's going what's what's getting hot every single week with exactly the way that craig rome was calling it but shoot what better of a defense to get on track than uh, what Tampa Bay has kind of trotted out there for the last couple of games so that's my that's my biggest point in this game is that if you don't play discipline against Lamar Jackson you're screwed and I think that Tampa's in trouble on a short week kind of having that task it is weird because a lot of the Thursday night games are division games or teams that see each other these teams don't see each other right I mean the Bucs and Ravens play every four years like um, like most uh, you know cross-conference battles here so um ravens also have had a 10 point lead in all seven games so far this year and they've, they've blown three of them they've lost they've lost That's three of those crazy. games uh game flow wise i could see the ravens getting up mm-hmm. and uh the bucks who certainly wanted to come into the season seemingly trying to take a little bit off brady's plate like right. let's run the ball a little bit more let's run the ball a little bit more they were at their best when they were playing from three touchdowns behind against kansas city a few weeks ago mm-hmm. and just kind of like put it in the past game's hands i mean are we going to see a potential shootout here with the you know ravens get up early bucks have to uh play catch up at home you know for as much as the bucks don't for as much as bucks fans think that they run it on first and 10 every single series they don't like that's not what they do i think they have the lowest if not the lowest first down run attempts of any team in the league and so they don't do it a lot but the the problem is is that 
whenever they try to run the ball, it looks so bad. You say to yourself, why are you even trying this? And that's how putrid their run blocking is right now. That's how putrid that their entire run game is. And so to your point, the ball is always best when it is in Tom Brady's hands for this offense. Like that has never wavered throughout the entire year. But you know that Byron's not just going to completely throw it away. I sure wish this Bucks team would use play action a lot more because on that part never made sense. Any downs, yeah. they are 31st in the NFL in play action rate. And on first down specifically, they are 31st in the NFL in play action rate. Just Throw a little play action in there. Like, get a little bit of a disguise. Something. Come on. Like, you, it's can, not like a you ben... can still get that threat of staying balanced and keeping the defense honest, if you will, right. yet not having to hand the ball off and basically say, all right, we're going to gain one and a half yards this this play. Because that's that's what it is when they hand it off. The Bucks are basically like, we're getting anywhere from two to three yards and no more from our, from our ground game if we're going to hand it off. You can still get the benefit of keeping the defense honest not letting them sell out to just throw everybody in coverage if you'd use play action a little bit more. But they just they they just don't do it, and I don't know why. It's not like a Big Ben thing where Big Ben's never really liked turning his back to the defense, and so every new coordinator, it's like, oh, we're just not going to run play action. Like, Brady's always performed well on play action. He's yeah. always liked doing that. And especially when you don't have Gronk, right? Those are the routes where Gronk really was great, right? Running the over route, middle mm-hmm. of the field, and that type of stuff. You don't have a Gronk, so you need to create more space for the Kate Ottens of the world, right? Your your rookie tight end. So it, it does seem like there are some cheat codes, right? They asked Tristan Wirfs, what'd you see on the fourth and one and the third and one? He said, I saw everybody, right? Essentially right. the whole box, right? right? You're packing, packing it in. The adjustments need to be made, right, by this Bucks offense. We've talked about this for years. Sometimes just spreading to run is a better thing to do, third and one, fourth and one. Yep. Um, so that's what I'm curious about, right? Like when we analyze football, we only talk about what we've seen, but like coaches, they're allowed to adjust, right? We're going to talk about Justin Fields, and we, we already talked about Justin Fields because this is pre-recorded, um, and how Justin Fields <laughs> and the Bears, they you know, we're very professional here. We, yeah, just, yeah, we no, tell exactly. They're the doing truth. fantastic. We tell the truth. So you're allowed to adjust, right? Mm. The Bucks have to make some adjustments here on Thursday night against the Ravens. I uh, just the play action thing is always has, has been one that baffles me, like. You look, there was a series last week against the Panthers where they had third and one and fourth and one. They handed it off both times. And that part I sort of agree with because I've always been of the stance of if you can't pick up a yard, you suck, right? I mean, like, that's just kind of like you need to be able to pick up a yard. Particularly now. Right. Like, you need to be able to pick up a yard. And if you can't, you suck. (laughs) They had third and one, got stuff for no gain. Fourth and one, got stuff for no gain throw in some play action a little bit throughout the rest of the game and maybe those instances get a little bit easier but you've seen all their plays right they went to the toss play that was like the one short yardage play that worked the week before yeah right so you can you can literally like see the box being like we have no good plays just i'll run the toss it worked last week and the steelers (laughs) shut that down as well so i I write the offensive line rankings Uh every week and and part of that is sort of you highlight the biggest weak link on an offensive line Mm -hmm. look ahead to next week you find Mm -hmm. out their opponent you sort of identify if there's a big matchup problem right luke godicky the rookie is the problem on the Tampa Bay offensive line. He's not good. He's out this Thursday. He's, He's out for tomorrow. Right. Yeah. And But you have to assume that him being there up until now has meant that at least they think he's better than the guy behind him on the death chart. So left guard is going to be the problem for Tampa Bay's offensive line. They're going up against Baltimore. Baltimore not only has a fairly 
decent stable of defensive linemen, but Calais Campbell in particular is one of those players that is a very unusual body type, but, yep. you know, skill set yep. for a bad offensive lineman to have to contend with. And that feels like one of those matchups that's like, that could wreck the game. Oh, dude, Cam Hayward completely wrecked the game when they played the Steelers. Yeah. I mean, Cam Hayward I was, was probably laughing like when the ball was snapped. <laughs> and look, I, I, I want to be fair to Luke Gedeke, who was not supposed to start. Like, they were hoping they had better options. Sure. This, is, this is an offensive line that is missing all three of the interior offensive linemen that were playing for them last year in Ali Marpet, Ryan Jensen, and Alex Kappa. Th- they made the trade for Shaq Mason. Uh, they were still anticipating on having Ryan Jensen there. And then Robert Hainsey, he was a very versatile offensive lineman when he was at Notre Dame. So he probably would have been the plug-and-play guy to play at guard. Right. But now he has to step up because Jensen's hurt. And now you're playing a guy who really was not supposed to play in his rookie year. Now you're playing him already. They've got Nick Leverett, and, and, and he was fine last week when he was kind of rotating with Gedeke there. But, yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about it. The experience of Cam Hayward absolutely ate this interior offensive line alive. The experience of Calais Campbell probably could have that same effect of, of just knowing what to do, knowing how to angle them, knowing how to set these guys up, and probably take advantage of a little second-guessing that they're not going to have and not playing with total confidence. So there's no doubt about it that this experience, I will say that's the biggest thing for me, is that sometimes you can look at defensive lines like the one in Baltimore and say, like, oh, it's it's a lot of it's a lot of old guys, right? It's Chase Pierre Paul, it's Justin Houston, it's uh, Calais Campbell, all they've those all been productive old, older players. Not only have they been productive, they've seen some stuff, if you will. And a lot of these guys who are playing for the Bucks haven't, especially together, even in the middle of this season. So I think that that's a big reason why they were susceptible to the Pittsburgh Steelers defensive line, and that's why it might look tough against the, the Ravens as well. Go ahead, you're the pick guy. <laughs> I'm the pick guy. Okay. So we're our Thursday guest. 40 to nothing. To pick. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> to pick the game. Baltimore, favored by one on the road. Where are you going? Uh, yeah, I mean, this 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 should be Baltimore. Um, the last time I looked, hold on, I got PFF ultimate, or I got PFF green line up right now. 73% of the cash in on Baltimore. Uh, 79% of the tickets are on Baltimore. 83% money line for Baltimore. Yeah, I mean, like, it's it's... It's all right there, and it should be. Yeah. The Bucks have not shown us anything over the last two weeks to think that a short week will be what kicks this team <laughs> in the butt and really gets them back on track. It's obviously a Tom Brady team. Anytime that Tom Brady's the quarterback, um, we things are, can get turned around immediately. But you and I I'm, are, I'm picking Baltimore. You and I are currently doing terribly in the picks. Yeah. You more than me, admittedly, but yes. we're both awful so far this season do you guys just do thursday or do you do all of them whole, all, all the whole slate oh, okay steve is currently 24 games under 500 for the season it's all relative sure yeah it's all that's you know what that's a really good just like yeah. cop-out phrase but like, critically we're beating the guest yeah, yeah. Oh. Each, of us, each of us are a game up over our thursday guests okay also. who are you picking i'm gonna go baltimore okay tomorrow. who are you picking um <clears throat> so last week i had my best week <laughs> and i went full george costanza just, opposite. Yeah, I just, just went the opposite. Okay. I, like, I talked it out. I explained my feelings and thoughts and then took the other team. <laughs> so I will explain my feelings and thoughts. I think I think the Bucks bounce back at home. Mm. Oh. So I'm going Ravens. Wow. So I'm going Ravens <laughs> with you guys. I think the Bucks back. You know, right. they, they surprise some people in prime time. I know it's past Tom Brady's bedtime and all mm-hmm. that stuff, and night games haven't been great there. But the Bucks are going to bounce back. They're going to look different against a better team, rise to the occasion. But the, so I'm taking the Ravens. Second time this season that we've – 
both agreed with the guest. The last time was when the Broncos got beat by the Colts. Perfect. Oh, or did not, no. didn't cover. So we're all due. We're all Mike Cliff. Now, yeah. look, Where's it's, it's uh, the recipes are there. We talked about how a veteran defensive line from the Ravens should best the Bucks at inexperience on the offensive line. And on the flip side, too, Bucks have not been able to stop the run that they've needed to. And this should be the game which the Ravens really commit to the ground game. And I think that when you are when you project to be losers in both sides of the trenches, I, I can't in all good consciousness pick anything else in the game. So I got to go Baltimore. It is interesting that you're mentioning Bruce Arians. You're mentioning, you know, the stuff that we don't always get to see, right, that we just assume, mm-hmm. right? We, you lose a couple players, you have a new coach, but you just assume there's a lot of talents. The Bucks will still be good. We're going to learn a lot about the Bucks the next, in, in Todd Bowles, the entire coaching staff these next few weeks, yep. and how they bounce back from this. But um, they're looking three and five in the face here. Staring down the barrel, 100%. Yeah. All right. There we go. We're all taking the Ravens? Yep. Trevor Sikama, be sure to check out It's Just... Tell everybody about It's Just Football. Yeah, uh, every day, 11 a.m. Eastern on PFF's YouTube, right here on this very channel, Mm. Mike Branner and I uh, talking everything football from around the league. If you like this podcast, it's kind of like that, but probably dumber and a little bit more wacky. So that's probably how we're we're turning the dials. some of it. It is wacky, but good wacky. It's good stuff. Fully endorsed. Go check it out. It's Just Football, 11 a.m. on YouTube on weekdays. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks, Trevor. Appreciate it, guys. We'll see you tomorrow.